So if you have Second Timothy before you, um, we'll read from uh, chapter 3, verses 1 <coughs> through to verse 9. This is the word of the living God. But know this, says Paul, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away with bifarious lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janias and Jambres resisted Moses, so do these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapprove concerning the truth, but they will progress no further. For their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. Amen. Well, beloved, as you gather from our reading this morning, we return to Second Timothy chapter 3. And the opening verse sets the tone for the remainder of the passage. Paul writes, but know this, that in the last days, perilous times, or fierce times, or difficult times, or dangerous times will come. If you remember last time, if you were here with us, we went over the fact that uh, the last days refer to the whole period of time from the, uh, the first coming of Christ, his incarnation, uh, right through to the second coming of Christ. The last days is the age in which we live. When the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, he initiated the last days. We are living in the last days. And in these last days, beloved, dangerous or difficult times will come. Will come where? Will come to the church. And please notice this. Will come from within the church. Uh, the word times means epochs or seasons or eras. And so you see what the word of God is teaching us, beloved, through the duration of these last days from the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ until he comes again. There will be epochs and seasons and times and eras and ages of grave difficulty for the church, fierce times, perilous times, dangerous times for the household of faith. And in verse 13 of this chapter, we'll get to it eventually, it indicates that these times will um, proceed from worse to worse. Uh, who was it that sang, things can only get better? Well, I think when we read the Bible, things tend to only get worse. I know I've thrown out in the past before, you know, the 
post-millennialism does appeal to me. I just can't join the dots. But certainly in this passage, things go from bad to worse. So friends, do you see the picture? You will have through the flow of the history of the church, the true church of Jesus Christ, moving along under the direction of Christ, this enemy, who is constantly coming against the church, evil men, spiritual imposters, who will bring about times and seasons and epochs and eras of grave danger to the life, the power, the testimony of the church. Do you see the picture? Do you see the picture? Yes. But do you realize, beloved, do you realize how grave this is? Do you, do you understand the seriousness? We need to know what we are in the middle of. We need to know what kind of fight we are in. You know, Monday, week back, when, um, when I was flying home from Budapest, flying back on a flight path that actually took us over Arnhem, we're exactly 79 years before, on Sunday, the 17th of September. Uh, British paratroopers had been dropped in behind enemy lines in what was to prove, as we now know, a bridge too far. Uh, now, do you think that those paratroopers who were dropped into Arnhem, do you think their commanders gathered them round before they took off and said, Now look, lads, we are going to drop you way behind enemy lines. Just make sure that whatever you do, that you remember you're businessmen and you've got a product to sell. Or worse, if their commanders gathered them and said, You know, look, you're going behind enemy lines. But we expect the war to be over by Christmas. The Germans are all but finished. So here's the most important thing uh, for yourselves to do. See, when we drop you in the Arnhem, you just have a little fun. Because, you know, life is far too short not to have fun. You know, those men had gone into battle thinking of themselves as businessmen with a product to sell. Or thinking of themselves as consumers of entertainment. They would have been in a worse predicament than they were actually in. And we know they were in a bad predicament. You, know, you read the plan on paper. Before them, but then you know. Like I'm a numpty. And I'm sure you would all stand up and say. Well when it comes to military matters we are numpties also. But you could give that plan to numpties. And you would say that's not going to work. And the remarkable thing is. It almost did. But anyway, that's besides the point. But they went into they went into a fiercely dangerous, perilous conflict as military men. But if they had gone into that conflict without realizing who they were and the circumstances that they were being dropped into, they would have been in worse danger than they actually were. But because they knew who they were. And because they knew the circumstances that they were being dropped into, they could appropriately take seriously the gravity 
of the situation that they were in. And you see, Paul is saying that same thing to, to you and me. Uh, the Apostle Paul, on the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he's saying, realize, beloved, what you're getting into. Realize that you are in the, in the middle of a spiritual conflict. You're in the middle of a spiritual fight. You know, for the, I guess for the best part of 25 years now, probably more, the Christian church has been told that we need to be thinking more like a business. Um, I think Rick Warren produced that book, published that book back in 1995, Purpose Driven Church. It was obviously going on before that, but it certainly uh, popularized the idea. You know, we need to think of ourselves uh, as a business. We have a product, the gospel. And we've got consumers, customers, unsaved, you know, people out there who don't know Jesus. And if we're going to give them the gospel, then we need to present it along the lines of a business model. You know, look how the, the business world do it, and they do it successfully. Let's just tweak that and adapt that and bring it into the church. And then others say, and this goes back even further than the 25 years, others say, no, we need to imbibe the entertainment culture because people want to be entertained. And if you can entertain them, you'll be able to draw them in. You know, these people... They've got a hard life, and so we need to adopt some of the modes from the media and the entertainment culture in order to draw people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the Apostle Paul saying, here's how I want the church to think. I want you to think, I want you to realize that you are an army, and you're in the middle of mortal conflict. And this is deadly serious stuff. You know, people are being picked off like flies. And he's warning us, telling us the kind of attitude that you and I need to have. The sobriety with which we need to approach this Christian life. And if you remember last time we sort of asked, you know, what, what will mark these perilous times? What are they marked by? And we noted that Paul goes on to identify in verses 2 through 5 as classic, a, a description of moral decadence as you'll find anywhere in the Bible other than uh, Romans one twenty one and fo uh, following. But, but there Paul highlights 19 marks that characterize these perilous times. This this kind of activity that Paul highlights here is before us today only on steroids. Yeah, that's how serious it is. And having told us in verse, uh, having described those characteristics, he then tells us in verse 5 that these people have a form of godliness. Now, does that stop you in your tracks when you read it? You read these you know, marks of uh, these perilous times, what marks people out 
and then it says in verse 5, they have a form of godliness. I'm sure you're thinking, how in the world can those things which are piled up, all those unsavory things in verses 2 through 4, how can they be combined with somebody professing to be godly? Well, the truth is they were at it in Paul's day, and they're at it today. You know, if you turn on the God channel at any given time during the week, 80% if not 90% of what you see claiming to be Christianity will actually fall precisely into these categories that Paul is speaking about uh, in this opening chapter of, uh, uh, opening verses of chapter 3. They, they profess to know God. That, that's the key. They profess to know God. Satan is so subtle. Satan never tells you the truth about who he really is. And his emissaries never tell you the truth about who they really are either. They come in with a paganized form of Christianity. And they come in to deceive, to lull people into a false sense of security, to sucker people. Uh, These are charlatans of religion. Listen, friends, the enemy of the church is not the, the man standing on the outside speaking against religion. Well, obviously, he is an enemy, but you know what I say? The enemy is the one who threatens the life of the church from men. You know, that, that's what Paul is highlighting here. The one who, who says he's religious, but they're lying so subtly. And so Paul says they are men and women with a form of godliness, a form of reverence, a form of commitment to the true religion, although they have denied its power. That is, they have positively rejected its reality. They have the form without the reality. They have the structure without the life. The Holy Spirit is not in them. The life of God is not in them. They are hypocrites. They have no love for God. They have no love for the truth. There's no love for God's people. They love only themselves. They want to feed themselves, praise themselves, indulge themselves, and they want to reach their own godless goals. The question is, how do you recognize these people so that you can avoid them? Three little things can help. Number one, check the character. You just simply you know, have to scrutinize the life. Look at the life. Secondly, check their creed. What do they believe? What do they teach? Are they biblical to the core? Does their teaching consistently square with the word of God? Are they saturated with scripture? Do they open their mouth and speak the truth of God? Or is it contrary to scripture? 
Is it subtly, 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 you know, uh, deviating from from Scripture? Do they misinterpret Scripture? So check check the creed, check what they believe, and thirdly, check their converts. If I could put it like that. In other words, find out what the people who follow them are doing. What the people who follow them are like. Are their followers justifying their sin because they're leader? The one they look up to uh, does the same thing. Are they into the same materialism that their so-called leaders into? Or are they walking in a godly way? Exalting the Lord Jesus Christ, loving God's word, holding it high and holding Christ high. If they are doing that, it's because somebody is leading them that way. And so you see what I'm saying? A false teacher will lead people away from the word of God, lead people into lasciviousness and everything that Jude mentions. But those who are seeking to, you know, encourage people to get into the word of God and to cling to Christ and to walk holy and godly after Christ, um, that will be reflected through what is taught in the word of God. So watch out. Watch out for the lovers of self and the charlatans of religion. We know that it's hard to avoid them because they're everywhere. And the media, the way it is today, it's practically impossible to escape, even if you wanted to escape. They... You know, the Internet's full of it. Uh, Radio, television, the printed page. You have to be very careful uh, what you're reading and what you're looking at. Now, that brings us to verse 6, where we left off last time. Now, verses 6 and 7, and what's really another identifying mark of these these imposters. But verse 6 says... For of this sort are those who creep into houses and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away with various lusts. And I say that, that's an interesting verse. You know, out of this group, these charlatans, these imposters, out of this group come these wolves. And here's their strategy. They enter into households. They want to get into the family. They want to destroy the family. That's their aim. And the word creep means to enter, to worm, or to wriggle your way in insidiously. You know, these folks don't come honestly. They sneak in. It's the same thing that we have been seeing on Wednesday evenings. With our little study of Jude, certain men have crept in, creeps, have wormed their way in, unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They creep in on a words. They sneak in subtly, masked, and the whole agenda is they want to capture you. You have to be on your guard. You have to be on your guard so that that doesn't happen. The tactics 
these self-loving religious phonies get up to is they want to get their own converts and they want to mislead people. Why do they want to get their own converts and mislead people? Simply because they want power and they want money. And who's their primary target? Verse 6. Gullible women loaded down with sins led away by furious lusts. My sisters, you can see from that quote that that is not a characterization of women on a general basis. This is not, as I said last time, this is not a disparagement on women. Not all women are gullible, loaded down with sins, and led away by furious lusts. As I said last time, this is referring to a type or a category of women who display both an intellectual and, uh, well, an intellectual, uh, they're incapable, if you like, intellectually incapable and morally incapable to distinguish between what's right and wrong. That doesn't mean they're stupid, you know. Because there's plenty of people with a string of PhDs after their name and they're morally incapable to distinguish between, you know, what sin is and what sin isn't. And these women are susceptible to these creeps. They they home in on weak women, susceptible women, unprotected women. And these women are, you know, they're with a unique vulnerability. And they capitalize on that. Now, given, given the biblical definition of the role of women, we, we understand to some degree that women do need protection. Now, if you find your feminist hackles getting raised, just bring those hackles to the authority of the word of God. Because women, to a certain degree, do need protection. They are, as Peter says, the weaker vessel. They do need the care and protection of a husband. That's why in Ephesians chapter 5, a husband is to love, protect, cherish, nurture his wife. To deliver her from harm and danger. Women are to be protected. Men are to be protectors. And when women are out from their protection, then they have a high degree of uh, vulnerability. Satan got Eve apart from Adam, tempted Eve in her vulnerability, and the result is the whole human race fell. Women need when they are young and before they are married to be under the protection of a father. When they are married, they are to be under the protection of a husband. When they are single or widowed, they're to be under the protection of other men in the family, as First Timothy 5 says, or certainly under the protection of men within the church. So women need that, especially women who might be weak 
in virtue and weak in truth. And Paul is flagging that up. And then in verse 8, turning back to the characterizing of the characterization of these false teachers again. Paul gives us an example of this kind of thing. You can picture him saying, you know, Timothy, um, you've known the Holy Scriptures, you know, from you were knee-high to a daisy. You learned the Scriptures uh, from, your mother, from your mother's knee. And she would have been telling you the story of the magicians in Pharaoh's court. We Jews call them Janes and Jamborees, though they don't have names in Scripture. Maybe these two guys were the leading magicians in Egypt. They're interesting characters because you do find them in Jewish tradition. Jewish tradition says that they pretended to become converts to, um, to Judaism. They joined with the children of Israel and they left Egypt. And it was these two guys... That, that led the way in making the golden calf. Now, that's just Jewish tradition. And the tradition says that these two boyos were, were killed following the, uh, uh, the incident with the uh, golden calf. So tradition says that these two guys were masquerading as believing proselytes, led Israel into false worship of the golden calf, and they were destroyed along with the others for that sin. The word Janes, uh, the name Janes, as best as we can tell, means he who rebels. And Jambres means he who makes rebellion. So these were seducers who made rebellion against the one true and living God. These are the traditional names, obviously, you know, the Spirit of God identifies them here for us in Second Timothy chapter 3. But Paul, in using this illustration, is saying, you know, just as these two guys opposed God's spokesman, Moses, so these creeps that we find, you know, among us today, they're doing the same thing. They're resisting the truth. Remember in Exodus chapter 5 when Moses got before Pharaoh and said, let my people go. You know, why on earth should Pharaoh listen to Moses? Who's just walked in from the back of beyond. You know, how is Pharaoh going to know that Moses is speaking for God and not just another, you know, lunatic who's you know one of many cranks that have had to listen to over the years how's he going to tell will God give Moses the ability to do those miracles and you remember he did those miracles right in front of Pharaoh's eyes but when Moses did a miracle what did Pharaoh's magicians do they do a miracle too they wanted to counteract and to oppose God's prophet. So they did their own little miracles and they had their, uh, their own little prophecies. And Janes and Jambres opposed Moses. And 
Timothy says, Just as these two boys opposed Moses, so these men that we are encountering today, they will oppose the truth. And sometimes they'll use supernatural things to do it. Maybe you need to put the supernatural in inverted commas. You know, things that can't be explained normally or naturally. But in fact, they'll get so good at it, it seems to imply in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, that if it weren't for God's power and God's restraint, they would deceive even the elect if that were possible, as they seek to deceive the whole world. You know, Jesus himself alludes to that in uh, Matthew's gospel, doesn't he? So, there are going to be some pretty deceitful people who will oppose God's spokesman and spokesmen. These self-loving charlatans of religion who seek to capture weak souls uh, with their deceit, they oppose the truth. They oppose the truth preached by Paul. They oppose the truth preached by Timothy. They oppose the truth preached by faithful ministers of the gospel, just like those who stood against Moses and Satan has constantly, continuously produced counterfeit preachers who claim to speak for God and do some pretty astounding things to make it look like it's convincing, but they are satanically inspired, they are satanically motivated opponents of the living God. Timothy, Paul has described them as men of corrupt or depraved minds. It's a condition of perversion. They have been made into a perverted state, a corrupt state. Their faculties, having refused the truth, have become unable to receive the truth which cleanses and purifies. They're corrupt. They're perverted. And then, of course, when tested by the true faith, they reject the, that true faith. And you can see through them. They're unfit, they're unqualified. So much more could be said about these verses, beloved, but just let me uh, just bring this to a conclusion by asking you to look there at verse 9 and, and just want you to bring it to a conclusion on a positive note because a lot of these uh, opening verses here are you know, very negative very dark it says in verse 9 regarding these charlatans these creeps verse 9 but they will progress no further I stop right there that's the promise of God my beloved, get this. The progress of false teachers is more apparent than real. Right, did you get that? It's more apparent than real because all that the Father gives the Son will come to him. That God in Christ will build his church and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. You know, they can try to suck the life out of the church. They can try to... Uh, you know, take the joy out of the church. 
They can try to weaken the testimony of the church, but they cannot damn the redeemed or the elect. Their, their, their power is more apparent than real. The, the progress is more apparent than real. They'll, they'll not be capable, able to stop the work of God. God will complete what he's begun. My friends, that's a good reminder because if this thing ended in verse 8, we could be pretty discouraged as we came to meet around the table. You know, sometimes, well, I'll speak for myself, I get a bit of a downer when I see all that's going on around me. You see what's taking place in the world, and much to my shame, you know, I confess uh, using sort of a, like a, a modern equivalent of the Sons of Thunder. You know, God, why don't you just nuke the lot of them? And then you have to catch yourself up and say, well, you, you nuked a lot of them. You know, we've got loved ones here unsaved. And then you say, well, God, be a bit selective and just nuke the really, really bad ones. And then you think, real hypocrite-like. You're, you're no different than the Pharisee who started far off and said, I thank you, and I'm not like this lot. And you just have to remind yourself that God picked you up from a pit. And what right have you to point the finger at anybody else? God will take care of all of those folks. You just take care of your own heart. And you know, so you really, at the end of the day when you're praying, those things are saying, God, just nuke a lot of them. You're really asking that the whole mess would be cleaned up. Lord, that you would come and bring in that kingdom that we're so looking forward to a kingdom of righteousness where there be no more sin no more pain no more evil and that you know, really was lying behind it but until the enemies of christ you know are defeated what do we need we need patience as we're thinking about this morning until then we know that this ungodlessness will eat the world like a cancer And sometimes we think it's going to engulf the church and devastate the church and destroy the church. And Paul says to Timothy right here in the church of Ephesus, he says, Timothy, they will progress no further. You see, beloved, there's a limit to what Satan can do. There's a limit to how far God will allow Satan to move. When he works against the purposes of Almighty God, He is constrained. He can't lead the elect astray. And that's such a hopeful way to close, isn't it? We are secure in the hands of our Heavenly Father. The ultimate defeat of Satan is guaranteed. Verse 9 says their folly or their senselessness, their senselessness will be manifest to all. Very clear what that means, isn't it? So here's a warning in these verses, but it's a warning that has a hopeful ending. And just to conclude then, we'll meet around the table. What does this say to us practically? Okay, here are four lessons to jot down in your mind. Very quickly, okay, we'll be finished in two minutes. Number one, will you please, please be aware of the spiritual warfare that we're engaged in? Would you be aware? Would you be aware of it enough to at least pray? You know, to come to the prayer meetings, 
be at the Westlanks next Saturday morning between 10 and 11 to pray. Why? We're in spiritual battle. We want revival. Isn't that right? Secondly, be doctrinally discerning so that you might not ever be engulfed in what's going on and brought into ignorance. You find your power being depleted. Be discerning. Thirdly, be pure and holy so that you're not susceptible to error also. You can be a victim of false teachers either through the door of a lack of knowledge or of truth or through the door of a lack of holiness. Either way, they can come in and, you know, lead you astray, have a negative effect on your ability to glorify God. So uh, endeavor to walk holy, endeavor to walk godly in the Lord. Then fourthly, following on from this morning, be patient. Be patient in the battle. We're going to win in the end. We're on the victory side. And that's the good news, isn't it? Uh, We live in dangerous times, beloved. And it's time for men to be men and women to be women. Time for us to take a stand. It's a time for us to have backbone. A time for us to have spiritual courage. It's a time for us to make our lives count. They say we're on the winning side if we love the Lord Jesus Christ. And it sure is wonderful be on the front line of the battle so that you can taste the sweetness of the victory when it finally comes. The Lord will reward his most faithful soldiers. His most glorious reward will be when we hear him say, Come, faithful, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world. Let's, let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you again this evening for the clarity with which your word speaks to our hearts. We acknowledge that we live in dangerous times. It's not a time for trivia. It's not a time for wasteful thinking, wasteful action. It's a time to make our lives count. Lord, fill our lives with a sense of urgency. First of all, Father, for those who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, who have not received the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, many of our own family members among that group, pray for those who have become spiritually lazy. They're not engaged in the way they should be or maybe the way in a way they once were. Lord, we pray that you will hear our hearts cry. So we want to be used by you. Bring us into the kind of spiritual condition that will make us useful in your service. Uh, Lord, trim the dead weight away, any sin that so easily besets us. Help us to fight the good fight, the way it ought to be fought. Help us even now to taste the victory, the sweetness of the victory, which is promised to us in Jesus Christ. And even as we look forward to discussing, uh, even as we look forward to being in heaven and uh, rejoicing with uh, long-departed brothers and sisters in Christ, Lord, we pray that you would keep us safe until that day. Protect us from the wiles of the wicked one. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.